great clap offering. Well, we are blessed that you're here this morning and uh, those that are watching online as well. We always enjoy when we can come together. We thank God for the technology. It keeps uh, changing and uh, rapidly, and we're trying to stay up with it the best that we possibly can. Um, but nothing takes the place of being able to gather in place, amen? Just being able to come together and see each other's faces. And uh, uh, we still hug here. Just want to let you know. Uh, we do it from a distance when it's necessary. We do it when we can. But uh, God is in control. And again, just thank you for your faithfulness and giving to the Lord. Again, I always remind you, this is our uh, the time when our electronic, this will be the coolest thing. We'll have a drone or something eventually that'll be able to come in. So it's still hands-free. It'll just hover over you, bring the offering basket, you know, something, something techie. I don't know. But right now you text it in. So thank you. Or you can mail it in or you still can drop it off here at the church in the back. So thank you for your faithfulness and giving. Uh, we are in a study, which I am thoroughly enjoying, and uh, hopefully you are as well, in First Peter and studying uh, his life and ministry and, and the message that he has for the church in general. We'll find ourselves in First Peter chapter 4 here this morning. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7 in a series that uh, I titled Hope in the Dark. And for all the reasons that I've been sharing with you in the weeks uh, back that uh, Peter is encouraging, exhorting the church in these difficult days that the church was living in to never lose hope, don't give up, and to keep looking for our redemption draweth nigh. I titled this morning's message, Don't Blink. And uh, there's a lot of reasons, obviously, uh, that came to mind. But one of them, and uh, this morning as I share, uh, has to do with uh, my mother and father-in-law, Rod and Marge, who are in the very back. And I want them to stand up if they would. Uh, this is Rod and Marge back there. They know why I'm having them stand. You don't know why I'm having them stand, but this is Rod and Marge. And uh, go ahead and keep standing. Keep, no, I don't want you to stand yet. Hey, it took you 50 years to get to this date. Okay, let's milk it for everything that it's worth. They have been married 50 years yesterday. So, And this is one of the reasons right here that they love Jesus and uh, they seek, continue to seek him and what God joins together, let no man tear apart. And uh, God has been very, very gracious to our family and loving and serving them. And I know that they give all the glory to him. Okay, you guys can sit now. But uh, I titled this morning's message, um, Don't Blink, because it, obviously Peter's talking about time. Uh, and I was asking my mother and father-in-law, uh, and specifically because I was studying this, and I, my mother-in-law yesterday, almost every conversation when people are going, you know, so how is, you know, 50 years and, you know, 50, this, that, you know, and she's just like, I, it has gone by so fast. She was just like, I mean, it doesn't seem like 50 years. I mean, she, she looks like she's 30. So, but 50 years, they've been, you know, they've been married and she's like, I just, I mean, where does time go? It just like, you know, it just doesn't seem like 50 years where some relationships, you, know, you go, Ugh been an eternity and we've only been married for three, four weeks, you know, and it's like, you go, okay, I, I understand that. But uh, the thing that came to mind as, as she said that, it reminded me of a, a Kenny Chesney uh, song. And maybe you've heard the song before. It's a country Western song. Not everybody listens to country music. Um, I, I, there's certain songs I like. I like the ballads. I'm not really the old country Western my mother and father-in-law, they, they like, you know, the Merle Haggard, the, the really good stuff, you know, the, the, the way back, you know, I'm more into uh, guys that couldn't make it in the rock scene. So they, they thought maybe because country Western people are usually nice people, they'd move, they'd move over. You don't, you don't even know what country Western is anymore. They all just kind of sound alike. But if you wear a cowboy hat and boots, I guess you're a country Western singer now. But Kenny Chesney, uh, if you haven't heard him, he has a song called Don't blink. And it really made me think about this because Peter, obviously in chapter four, he's going to bring it up really quick. Uh, two times, you think about words in the Bible, and it's always fun to do words. Anybody, you do word studies periodically, just take a, a word in the Bible. Uh, I'm going to just remind me to share the word assuredly with you just a little bit later. But, but Peter uses the word time, and he uses it a couple times in chapter four. And, and as I was thinking about that, and you think about Peter's life, you know, Peter knows that martyrdom for him is right around the corner because Jesus had told him that it was going to take place. So he has an expectancy that he's going to die for the faith, okay? So time, when you know that, 
time becomes really important to you. Would you agree with that? And so I think, you know, this is something that Peter's writing, obviously inspired by the Holy Spirit. He pins the words of God, but God uses ordinary men moved by the Holy Spirit. And so for Peter, time, time is important. Time is of the essence, you might say. And so he's sharing this with us. And as I look at this, you know, I, I kept thinking about, you know, my own life and, and thinking about all the situations that we're facing as a, a family right now, that, you know, time is a gift. Amen. It's a precious gift. I mean, we're not promised, you know, any certain duration of time. And uh, uh, it passes, you know, the, the gift of time passes very quickly. It passes with every minute, with every hour, with every day, with every year. And so that song kept coming to mind as I thought about, you know, my mother and father-in-law, especially in light of it being 50 years. And I thought about the situations of our family and the things that we're facing. And then thinking about Peter as an apostle himself who knew that time was short. And if if I could give you two words that really kind of sum up what Peter is teaching us this morning, it's the words, don't blink, don't blink. And, and to really kind of lock in on that. But I wonder, I'm not going to sing it to you. I, I, I was thinking about sending it to John and have John sing it. I've never heard John sing a country Western song. I thought this could be something unique for us in this. So, but I didn't, I didn't do it, but uh, I'll read the, the lyrics to the song and, and, and think about this this morning. They're, they're powerful. And it, it creates a great image that I, that I want you to think about today with regard to don't blink with regard to time. The song goes like this, it says, I turned on the evening news. I saw an old man being interviewed. Turning 102 today, asked him what's the secret to life. He looked up from his old pipe, laughed, and he said, all I can say is don't blink. Just like that, you're six years old and you take a nap. And you wake up and you're 25 and your high school sweetheart becomes your wife. Don't blink. You just might miss your babies growing like mine did. Turning into moms and dads, next thing you know, your better half of 50 years is there in bed and you're praying God takes you instead. Trust me, friend, a hundred years goes faster than you think. So don't blink. And then you can kind of picture the imagery of that. And and it just reminded me of my mother and father-in-law, those conversations that you start having, you know, in life. It's, and he go, the song goes on, it says, I was glued to my TV when it looked like he looked at me and said, best start putting first things first. Because when your hourglass runs out of sand, you can't flip it over and start again. Take every breath God gives you for what it's worth. Don't blink. Just like that. You're six years old and you take a nap and you wake up and you're 25 and your high school sweetheart becomes your wife. Don't blink. You just might miss your babies growing like mine did. Turn it into moms and dads. Next thing you know, your better half of 50 years is there in bed and you're praying God takes you instead. Trust me, friend, a hundred years goes faster than you think, so don't blink. It just, you know, it, again, just drives that point home about how precious time is. So, so it goes on, it says, so I've been trying to slow it down I've been trying to take it in. If there is here today, gone tomorrow, this world we're living in, don't blink. And then he goes back, you know, through the chorus again. And it just, it, it just got me thinking, you know, about what, here's Peter. And you got to put this in perspective to first Peter, because again, like I said, Peter's writing to a church that's facing tremendous persecution. People are dying for their belief in Jesus Christ. Okay. They're paying, you might say the ultimate price. And so Peter is very much aware of that. He's aware of it for his own life. And so it's like, don't, don't, don't waste time. You know, make, make the most of it here. So when you, it, it brought to mind, you know, again, as we're going through the Psalms, um, it was Psalm 90. In Psalm 90, it was verse 12. Moses wrote this. Okay, remember, you know, Moses lives to be 120 years of age. And uh, he writes this. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And what he's talking about is, you know, make every day count, you know, milk it for all it's worth, you know, learn the lessons, you know, of the day. There's a lesson for each of us today. There's a lesson for the season of life that we're in right now. Uh, there's no accidents with God, you know, God's in control and he's using everything, you know, in our life. First Peter four, one through seven, we want to read this and then just take a moment. Let's just pray together that God would, would help us to, you know, again, two words today, you know, don't, blink, that we'd really understand, maybe in a deeper, more profound way, especially with regard to our faith, the importance of time. 
says this, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 7. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past life time, he says, in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in the lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries in regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account, it's about time again, to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who were dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. And let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for my mother and father-in-law today that they're here and that, Lord, even as a church family, we can celebrate them. And thank you for bringing them through 50 years of life. And I pray that you would grant them many, many more together, that you would, as your word says, that a man whose ways are pleasing to you, you give him the desire of his heart. And may you grant them the desires of their heart. And I just thank you for them both and for just the love that they show our family to me personally, to our church. And I just pray that you would just make this very strange year of COVID that uh, it would still be special as they look back and as they look ahead. That Lord, you have been faithful uh, yesterday, today, and you will be remaining faithful forever. And we thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to open your word and study it together. And may you minister to each of us today. Lord, may you transform uh, our lives as we set our hearts and our minds on the things up above today. Lord, help us to put things in perspective and the things that matter most and the things that matter least and help us to take inventory today. And Lord, thank you for your grace that's sufficient in all these things. We love you. And uh, Lord, we give you this time as we pray in Jesus name. Amen. So like I said, if I had to sum it up, Peter is telling us, you know, bottom line, do not blink, you know, and I think about, you know, with regard to blinking, you know, there's an old expression, you know, that time waits for no man. You know, there's no way in that song, it said, you can flip the hourglass over, but guess what? And when the sand runs out, the sand runs out. You don't, you don't get to flip it over. You know, you get, we, we're called by God to make the most of it. But at the same time, living with regret is a waste of time. And, and so, much, so many people do. So many of us, we waste our time regretting things. And you go, all that's doing is robbing you of what? A valuable, precious time that we will never get back. So what's the best way that we could live our lives today? From this moment forward, whatever time that we have left, Peter is saying, live your life for the will of God. Live your life for the will of God. Don't look back, you know, look ahead and live your life for the glory of God. There's four things if you're a note taker, and I hope that you know whether you are a physical note taker or you can lock in, you got a Kodachrome memory uh, that you lock in and, and take these things to heart and think about them, meditate on them today. That uh, uh, four ways we can make the most of our time from studying this this portion of text here this morning. The first is found in, in verse one. It says again, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So the first point, if you're going to you know, make the most of, of time in your life, one, the first thing that you want to do is you want to keep your head in the game. That's point number one. Keep your head in the game. And the reason I say that is because Peter here, what does he say? He says, arm yourself. Arm yourself is a military term, Okay. So Peter is understanding that this is militant, okay? Not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, that we are in the fight of our lives. We are in a battle constantly. You know, we might not, you know, just like in any war, there's people that are on the front lines, and then there's people that, you know, are, are back from the, from the front line, and maybe they're resting, maybe they're being prepared, maybe they're creating a strategy. But this is a, about advancing God's kingdom, and, and it, it is a literal battle, but it's in the spiritual realm here, okay? And so, again, we understand that, you know, that the concept when Peter says, arm yourself. You know, when a soldier goes on, into battle, what do they do? I mean, they put on all kinds of gear. Those of you that have served, you know, in the military, and you can, you know, tell us how much weight 
you know, that, that gear weighs. I mean, they're, they're constantly, you know, breaking it down more and more so that it's lighter and lighter and lighter and it's more protective. But man, back in the day, you know, talking with uh, guys that served, I mean, if they were in the infantry uh, going into the battlefield might have on 40 pounds, you know, think about an additional 40 pounds of gear to protect themselves. And so Peter is saying, you know, and you think about, you know, in a Roman soldier, we think about the cross and we think about carrying a spear and a shield and, you know, having a helmet on. And we'll read some of that in just a moment as Paul alludes to that with regard to spiritual battle is there's a lot of weight to that. I mean, to, to carry this. And so Peter is saying, arm yourself. You know, we, we've got to be prepared. Uh, and again, as we do that, you know, I think of Ephesians chapter six, you know, what Paul stated there in Ephesians six, you remember in verse 10, Paul would write using the same imagery. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might put on the whole armor of God. So he's talking about arming yourself as well. He says that you may be able to stand against what? The wiles of the devil. Okay. We're talking about in the spiritual realm, you know, as, as scripture tells us, the things that we see are passing away, but the things that we don't see are eternal and they will remain forever. And so again, understanding that we're in a fight that you can't see with your physical eyes, but it is going on every moment of our life against us. And it says, so we're able to stand against the wiles of the devil there in verse 11 of Ephesians 6 and going on, it says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers against the rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist. And again, he's using this imagery, girding your waist, uh, you know, uh, with, the, with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, it says, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Again, arming yourself, being prepared, keeping your head in the game. Like I said, it's point number one. Maybe you would agree with this or not. You know, I love this quote. It says, your thoughts are the architects of your destiny. Ralph Waldo Emerson, he wrote this. He said, sow a thought. Maybe you remember this. Sow a thought and you reap an action. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. It all starts with a thought. Where is your head this morning? That's what Peter is saying, you know, when it comes to making time and wasting time, it'll all come back to where is your head? Is your head in the game? I can't tell you how many coaches during the course of my life, you know, keep your head in the game. Where, and just asking that question constantly on the sideline, asking players, where is your head? Where are you? Where is your head? Are you in, in the game? And so Peter's reminded, we are in the fight of our life here. You know, again, Proverbs 4.23 reminds us, you know, that every battle begins in our mind. It says this, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. So it's, again, talking about the heart, the soul, where you make the deep-rooted decisions of your life. I love this in the New Century Version. It puts the, it, Proverbs 4.23 like this. It says, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Man, some of you, I mean, you've already this morning, I mean, God has already, you know, that's it. That's where, that's why I'm off course. I'm not controlling my thoughts. My thoughts are controlling me and it is running you down the wrong road. You think back to chapter one and verse 13, when Peter again begins this epistle here, he says, he says, therefore, what does he say? Gird up, gird up the loins of your mind. Okay. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Controlling our mind, controlling our thought process. Proverbs 23, 7 puts it like this. As a man thinks in his heart, it says, so is he. Would you agree by a show of hands that most of life's battles are won and lost in our mind? Most of life's battles are won and lost in our mind. That's where it starts. What we think, what we think about God, what we think about the world, what we think about 
the world situation, everything. That, that's what shapes. We talk about a paradigm. What is a paradigm? It's your knowledge and it's your experience. That's how you see the world. That's how you make your decisions. That's why it's so important to be people of God's word, looking unto him, right? Fixing our eyes uh, upon Jesus, uh, constantly doing that because the world is going to do what? It wants to distract us from that. So Peter is reminding us, prepare our minds, but prepare our minds to do what? To do battle? To, what kind of battle? What's he talking about? Is it specific? Is it generic? Well, he makes it very clear. It's a battle against what? Sin. Sin. We say, lay aside the weight, the sin that so what? Easily wraps us up, okay? I mean, and, and how do we do that? Well, we have to imagine the cross. Everything is either focused before the cross, is looking forward to the cross. Everything after the cross is looking back on what Jesus has accomplished for me and you. And when you think about the cross, you think about what? Sin. We think about sin first before salvation, is that he died for sin. Jesus Christ went to the cross because of my sin and your sin. And we can't lose sight of that. You know, and because we think about, you know, I mean, what Jesus suffered through is sin is what? The ultimate thing that God would want us to understand is sin is deadly, right? The wages of sin is what? Romans tells us. The wages of sin is death, okay? But, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. But it was because of sin that he goes to the cross. And we need to have the same mindset that Jesus does with regard to sin. And, and I know that many times we don't. You know, we wrestle with it, but we'll go, you know, because you'll hear this. If you, you might have said this yourself, you might have had someone say it to you. You go, you tell them, you know, hey, they need Jesus. And, and you might point out a sin or something. And then what's the, the first response that many people give is what? Nobody's what? Perfect, right? Nobody's perfect. And so we tell ourselves that. So we continue to sin. We continue to blow. And we go, nobody's perfect. And so it's like making a deal with the devil, so to speak, that we become okay with it. We, we just, we, we might, we don't even wrestle with it anymore because again, we kind of have an agreement. It's like people that say they have a relationship with God and they'll just go, you know, me and, me and the man upstairs, we have, we've got a thing, you know, like we've worked it out. We can't come to God on our own terms. We come to God on his terms. Amen. So, so important for us to remember that. How did Jesus deal with sin? And you think about it. How did Jesus deal with sin? Goes back to point number one. He kept his head in the game. His head was in the game all the time. A great passage of scripture I'd love for you to study out for yourselves. It's found in Luke's gospel in chapter nine. I'll just read part of it to you. And, and again, hopefully this will make sense to you. Luke chapter nine, verse 51. It says, now it came to pass when it had come for Jesus to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. What was he going to do in Jerusalem? He was going to die upon the cross, right? He knows that that's why he's come, that he's come, he, he was born to die for the sins of the world. It says, and he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and he sent messengers before his face. And I don't want you to miss this. It says, and as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans. It says, to prepare for him. And speaking of the Samaritans, it says, but they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. It says, and when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, now, when you think about head in the game, okay? Look what happens here. It says, James and John saw this. They said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? I love that. Because why? Because that's probably what I'd do. That's probably what you would do in that regard. Because why? Because our head wouldn't have been in the game. We would have been what? We'd have been angry. Do you get angry today when people don't do the things that you want them to do? Or you don't, they don't do the things that you believe that God is calling them to do? And you go, well, why did Jesus come? He came to die on the cross for sinners, right? which includes all of us. Probably one of the most well-known Bible passages in all of scripture is John 3, 16. That says, for God, so what? He hated the world, right? For God so hated the world that he just looked forward to judging it one day. You go, no. It says, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave his only begotten son. That's why Jesus came. 
was to die upon the cross. He knew exactly what he was doing. Jesus would say, no one has taken my life from me, but I lay my life down that I might take it up again. That was his purpose in coming. He wasn't mad. People are thinking, oh God, yes, there's an anger. Uh, an anger against what? To not receive Christ. We talk about blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's to die rejecting Jesus Christ. All that remains, Scripture says, is God's wrath. But we are in a season of God's grace. God is wanting so much, as Peter will write. He's not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. That's God's heart. And, and, and we can't miss that. And so Jesus, you can see here, his head, thank God, is in the game. He could have said, yeah, see, they rejected me. So yeah, let's bring down fire. But no, what does it say? It says, but he turned and he rebuked them. He, did he rebuke the Samaritans? No, he rebuked James and John. It says, he says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And then it says, and they went to another village. Thank God, Jesus never lost focus that his head was always in the game. Again, like I said, you, you see how the disciples, they were distracted, you know, and I think, you know, as I look at this, and hopefully you look at it this morning, what is your goal then? What is your goal when it comes to sin? Uh, Peter's arm yourself. He's telling us, he's exhorting us, arm yourself against sin. You know, the Bible gives us two things that we should do, right? We should, we should, Flee, what, is, what does scripture tell us? We should flee what? Temptation, right? And then Peter writes, and we should resist the devil. So we flee temptation and we resist the devil. You know, and so again, we have to walk through that and study through that in our lives. How to, when, what is a temptation? A temptation is anything that's going to take me away from God, from the will of God, from the purpose of God. You know, when I think about resisting the devil, that's when there's an accusation that's made by the devil when he comes to you and he says, you know, that you're condemned and God doesn't love you. You know, I have a friend that, that sings and, and he wrote a song, you know, years ago. And he said, you know, remember, you know, when, when the devil, he said, you know, remind you of your past, remind him of where he's going. When the devil comes to you and starts telling you about all the things that you used to do, you know, and he reminds you of your past in the sense he said, remind him of his future. It is so sure. And because that's what the devil's going to do. He's going to come against you and he's going to bring condemnation against you. And Paul will write, you know, in Romans chapter eight, verse one, he starts right off and he says, therefore now, because of Jesus Christ, therefore now what? There is what? No condemnation for them that are in Christ Jesus. There's no downward judgment. Why? Because Jesus died for that sin upon the cross. But if your head is not in the game, and, and you lose sight of that, guess what? Man, it is so easy for the devil to discourage us, to distract us, to get us off sight and off point and off purpose. The next thing you know is to do what? To trip us up. That's what he wants to do. Jesus came to give life. The devil came to do what? He came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. What? Us, individually. Us, collectively. However, he can pull it off. And so... Again, as you study through this, you know, sin is, is always seen in Scripture as what? It's our enemy. It's always our enemy. And, and, and Scripture always uses a military language in dealing with it. Talk about resisting, resisting the devil. Uh, and again, yeah, and resistance as a means of what? Of victory. How you and I can be victorious, but understanding that it's a constant battle. It doesn't go away. Because you might show of hands that you go, man, the longer I've walked with Jesus, I mean, it just seems like sin just like isn't even an issue anymore. I mean, it just, I'm not tempted any longer. I mean, you know, if you get a few years under your belt, you're not tempted anymore. Sin, you know, you go, it's just, you go, no, it, it, I mean, you read any dead author, okay? You know, whether it be Luther, I mean, you know, Spurgeon, Moody, you know, whoever your favorites are, those are just some of mine. And, and you read about their life and you, the apostle Paul, the longer you walk with God, it was like, what did Paul say? So I'm the chief of sinners. You start recognizing, you know, the, I mean, the little tiny things, you know, not just even actions, but just attitudes, the, the issues of our own heart. And you go, man, no, this is a constant battle and it's not going to end until what? 
till the day that you and I meet Jesus face to face. When we, when we die in the flesh, ultimately, that's when we're going to be the most alive and we will be the most set free because this body, you know, again, has to put off corruption before it puts on incorruption, right? We have to put off mortality before we put on immortality. It's just the, it's the price we pay. You know, you think about going back to the very beginning, you know, in Genesis chapter four, verse seven, remember the, the story of Cain and Abel and the offerings that they bring uh, to the Lord and God had rejected Cain's offering. And, but he says something to him that's so interesting. He says to, to Cain, he says, if you do well, he says, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And listen to what God said. He said, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. There's a resistance. There's a battle that God is telling us needs to take place if we're going to live the victorious life. That's what Peter is telling us to arm ourselves. Jesus taught the disciples to pray in Matthew 6, 13. Remember, he said this, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We pray that. Are you praying that in your life? Are you arming yourself, you know, constantly understanding that there is a, a battle that's taking place? It says, but deliver us from the evil one, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. James 4, 7 reminds us of this. It says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, if the, if the enemy of our soul is tormenting us, and, he, and he, it's just, you know, like I said, he's going around like a roaring lion looking for whom he can devour, right? And he's doing that in our life. You know, he's just, bah, 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 bah. And, and if you give in and you listen to it, guess what? He's won. It's just like somebody bullying you or picking on you, whatever the thing is they're doing verbally. And as long as they, they know they've got you, they've got you. But when you resist them and all of a sudden, you know, they're going to go, they're going to what? They're going to take the path of least resistance. The enemy's going to flee. He's going to leave. He's going to go find somebody else, you might say, to pick on. It's not that you want him to go pick on somebody else. Yeah, I think you understand the point that he's not going to be attacking you. And yet there's something that comes up in all this. And I was, like I said, I invite you and continue to ask you to pray, you know, for my brother-in-law, Tim. Uh, and you, you're thinking about, you know, when you, you get news that, you know, you've got some incurable disease and, and, it, and it has a purpose in the kingdom of heaven. And I hope that we all understand this is that it's not for our destruction. Ultimately, what it's for is to get our attention about what's important, you know, because I'll tell you what suffering when you're suffering, I, I can only speak for myself, but when I suffer, uh, God has my attention. <laughs> does he have yours? You know, and what does it do when I suffer is it makes me evaluate time. What am I doing with my time? Have I, you know, like I said, I, I've had the, the privilege as a pastor to be with people as they pass from this life into eternity. And I'll tell you, time is the commodity. You know, it was, you know, Damien Kyle said that if you could come up with, uh, you know, an ability as a human being, as a scientist, somebody who creates things, and you could give uh, people 30 more minutes of life, he goes, you would be the richest person on the face of this earth. What people would pay just to have 30 more minutes of life, just 30 more minutes, because you'd have all the world's wealth, because only God can give that. But how important time is for us. And like I said, suffering gets our attention like nothing else possibly can, because it does help. Uh, trust me, been there, done that. It, it puts things into perspective of what's important and what's not. And I remind you constantly, there's only three things that last forever, right? God, the word of God, and the souls of men. And everything else you start going, and it's, there's nothing wrong with stuff. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. You know, again, Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, you know, that, hey, while you're here on earth, plant your vineyards, enjoy your stuff, enjoy your family, enjoy your kids, but understand this and, and hold it in the proper perspective. What? It's fleeing. It's all passing away. You're not going to take it with you. You know, again, I know somebody will send me a, a, a picture of this, but there isn't going to be a, you know, U-Haul behind a hearse when, when you die. You're not taking it with you. And you can send it on ahead, but you can't take it with you. And then some of always, whenever I say that, they send me a picture of a hearse pulling a U-Haul. And I think it's funny, you know, to see it, but you go, but literally they can't. And I've had people ask, they go, why do they put pockets on, on cadavers? Like when people die and they bury them in a suit, why do they have pockets? They don't need pockets. What are they carrying anything? You go, oh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that one. I go, 
Maybe you should start a suit company. I don't know. It didn't make any sense. Verse number two goes on. It says that in Paul, or excuse me, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 4. He says that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. So point number two is don't waste your life. Invest it. And, and look at it that way. Don't waste your life investing it. You know, spending the rest of our time on the will of God is never wasted but invested. I think of, you know, uh, the thief on the cross, you know, in Luke's gospel, I think it's chapter 23. It's not in my notes, but I'm just thinking of this. Um, and this is where I think of the word assuredly. So here's the thief on the cross. He is first reviling Jesus, right? And then he comes to this awareness that Jesus is who he claims to be. And so all of a sudden from the cross, he's already been found guilty. He's dying for his sin. He's only a few hours away from dying himself. And yet he, he rebukes, you know, not only the soldiers that are there and the religious Jewish leaders that are there and the thief that's on the other side of Jesus who's there. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, assuredly, assuredly, you know, excuse me, Jesus says that to him. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. That's all he says. He's living the rest of his life. You might say the rest of his time for the will of God. He, he didn't have a lot of time left, okay? He's not going to be baptized in water, okay? So that can't save you. He's not going to do good works because he's nailed to a cross, but he recognizes Jesus for who he is, and he declares it, which will be the last point I'll make to you today. He declares it publicly, and Jesus says to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. But there was that word assuredly. I was doing a word study on it this week just for myself. Assuredly is the word guaranteed. Imagine, imagine that you're dying on the cross next to Jesus, right? And you know, and as he says, you, you know, we deserve to die. He's telling that to the other thief. We deserve to die. We, we got caught. We are sinners and we deserve to die. But this man has done nothing wrong. And so then he looks at Jesus. He says, I know you're the savior. So please, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him, he goes, guaranteed. Don't you love that? Guaranteed. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. I don't know about you, but man, that just, I love that. I love that. And again, that's why word studies are so profound. You think about Jesus just yelling, guaranteed. Because you're thinking, I hope so. You know, because I mean, you're not in a good spot, you know. But to know that God is faithful to his word, that he can do the impossible. Amen. Don't waste your life. Invest it. You know, I, I put my notes, but some quit due. And you might feel like this in your life or you know somebody. Just remind them of this. Some quit due to slow progress, never grasping the fact that slow progress is progress. Just stay in there. Spurgeon said it. I love this quote. He said, the snail reached the ark by persistence. I love that. Imagine that little snail. Imagine that. Come on. <laughs> Just trying to get up. Please, no, don't close the door. You know, he didn't. But uh, God waited. You want a satisfying life? One that's full of mystery and adventure? Follow Jesus. Make, make his will the priority in your life. Because the Holy Spirit will lead you to places alone you could never find. So, so important for us. Jesus said it best in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You know, it's been well said. The two most important days in a person's life are the day that they were born and the day that they discover God's purpose as to why. I hope that you find that out. The choices you and I make today will become the stories that we get to tell tomorrow. Man, that's why time is so, so important. To step towards your destiny, you got to move away from your security. That, that's the hard part. To, again, you want to take a step towards your destiny today, you got to move away from your security. Because what does the scriptures tell us? Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is God and that he's a rewarder of those who uh, diligently seek him. The will of God. You know, it's not mystic. It's not, you know, 
How does it come to us? I mean, I, I talk to people and they go, I just take my Bible, Pastor Mike, and I just flip it open and I put my finger there and wherever my finger lands, that's the will of God for my life. Don't you love that? You flip it to a passage and it says, you know, um, well, I can't even, I, there's things that come to my mind that are just in scripture and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna repeat them, but there's things that if you did exactly what it told you to do, it would not be good for you. But, but again, it's one of these things that we, we think that, you know, uh, oh, that's how the Holy Spirit works. And, and it's not how he works. That's not, not God's plan. You know, not his purpose in our life is that we would seek his will, that we would, again, what does scripture tell us to do, you know, is to continue to seek his face, to walk in obedience, simple, humble obedience to the revealed word of God. You know, it's, the Bible isn't just full of, you know, can't do, can't do, can't do. There's more, there's way more, you know, things that God has called us to do. It's just reading God's word and saying, and when we think about the word, if you listen to John teach at the end of every message, he'll say, amen, and what? And amen. And the word amen means what? So be it. And really, as the believer, we should be saying amen even before we read the word of God, right? It's not just, it's not like, Lord, so be your word at the end of it. No, it's at the beginning. You go, so really what we're saying is, Lord, I'm about to open up your word. And whatever you tell me to, to do in your word, I, I'm going to do it. Like Samuel saying, Speak, as Eli told him, he said, when you hear the voice of God, speak into your life. What do you do? He says, speak for your servant is what? Listening. So you're going, Lord, whatever you want me to do, just tell me. And will God tell us in his word? You go, absolutely. What we do is we, we don't like what it says. <laughs> we go, hmm, is there another, another passage there that I can, I can go? Oh. And then you find, and you end up on a worse one in the sense, you go, it's so all of a sudden you go, okay, I think God's trying to get my, my attention here, it is. Point number three, and these are just really easy, super simple, hold on to these. Point number three, leave the past behind. Leave the past. You want, you want to make the, you, the most of, of, of life? You want to make the most of your time? Quit wasting time thinking backwards. You know, verses three and four, look at this in First Peter 4. It says, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness. He lists all these things. Lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange. So he's saying the Gentiles who practice these things, who you used to practice it with, he says, think it strange that you don't run with them anymore in the same way that you used to, into the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil then of you. you know, they mock you, they make fun of you for not hanging out with them any longer. There's an old saying, you can't back into your future, and it's so true. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, he said this, he said, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than it is about courageously and actively doing God's will. Again, you know, what does the Apostle Paul you know, remind us of in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? We've alluded to it a couple times in this service. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're what? A new creation. Yeah, the old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. So the best ways to understand the past is to do what? Forget it, renounce it, and then go on. David Jeremiah, pastor I love to read uh, in San Diego, California, he says, when you follow God's will for your life, you can see how yesterday's events prepared you for today's challenges and tomorrow's opportunities. Just a great, great reminder. See, what, is, what does the devil want to do in your life? How does, how does he attack you? How does he attack me? He wants us to rehearse the past, doesn't he? Just keep going over the past, forgetting we are a new creation in Christ. And you think about, you know, bars today. Maybe that was a lifestyle that you were involved with. If you go to, to bars today, there's usually two groups of people that, that hang out in bars, that that's part of their life. They're people that are either trying to relive an old memory, trying to recapture an old memory, or even sadder is they're trying to bury a past pain. Both of them have to do with the past, right? And God's going, you know what? Let it go. And the best way that you and I can let it go is be born again. Is come to Jesus, receive him as Savior and Lord. You know, you, maybe you're here, maybe you're at home, you know, and you, you read verses three and four and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't even know what all those words, <laughs> you just read Pastor Mike are. Uh, but 
I, I know this, you know, <laughs> they're speaking in my life. You know, and you have to ask yourself today, you know, that you go, how's that working for you? How's that working for you? And if we're really honest, it's not working. And, and Peter wants us to, to realize that and to arm ourselves, get our head in the game. Think about the time. Invest our time in things that are eternal, things that matter. And don't look back. Let those things go. Those things are holding you down. They're holding you back. And you think about it. It's not your future. It's your past that's seeking to destroy you. Call on the name of the Lord today. The Bible makes it perfectly clear. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the last point, so simple in this, you know, time is short. Time is short. Share Jesus. Time is short. I mean, I, I believe with all my heart, church, look at verses five and six. And this is having, you know, when I said Jesus kept his head in the game, and the disciples, you know, James and John were wanting to do what? When people don't agree with us and we're seeing that we have a, a, a cancel culture today, you know, when, when things don't go the way that, you know, people want, what do they do? They want to call down fire from heaven, you know? And you go, it's not God's heart. It's not his heart at all. It says, they will give an account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. It says, for this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who were dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. So Peter's talking about, you know, people that have already died uh, for the most part, died in their flesh, but they're alive. They're in the very presence of God. And he's reminding, you know, the church as we read this, that everybody's going to stand before God. Hebrews 9.27 says this, and it's appointed a man to die once and then face judgment. But there's a day of judgment coming. And that, you know, again, God's not willing, you know, that any would perish, Peter will tell us, but that all would come to repentance. God's not, his heart isn't to judge the world. His heart is to save the world. And he wants us to have that same kind of heart. And you can just see what's happening you know, in our culture. We're a divided country today. And people are divided and the church can get sucked right into it. And I guess, and, and we've got to fight against that. We've got to arm ourselves against this because guess what? No matter who's in the White House, who serves in government, Jesus is still on his throne, amen? And that's the most important thing. And you know, we can get so sideways and, and, and we start coming out as opposed to taking advantage of this again and shining you know, in this moment of darkness. And it is tremendous darkness in our world today, but shining the way that God desires is to be a light that's set on a hill that can't be hidden. I mean, I've shared this with you, you know, if I've shared it with you once, I've shared it with you a million times. The best time to ever be born in this world, I believe with all my heart, is when Jesus Christ walked on this earth. To think that, you know, it says, and we beheld the glory of God, right? To be able to walk with Jesus and to touch him and to talk with him. But the second best day is today. Uh, is, and why do I say that? Because I believe that this is the last, I believe that we're going to be that generation that's going to see him face to face, that the clouds will be rent. That's my hope. It's my prayer. I know that people can say, well, they've been praying that for 2000 years. Good, good. And if it's 2000 more, man, let that be your heart. I'm not looking for the antichrist. Okay. I'm looking for the revelation of Jesus Christ. I'm waiting for the trumpet to sound for Jesus to come through, you know, and those clouds and say, I'm coming to rescue you. I'm coming to take you home. That, that's my hope. That, that's my prayer for me, for you. And yet, you know, I closed last week, you know, reminding you of that Carmen song, you know, Sunday's on the way, you know, we, and we can't forget it. We got to keep our head in the game. We can't waste time any longer, you know, on the things that don't last. And so you think about the conversation, just think about your own life today. How much of your conversations are on, on elections and politics and stuff that, you know what? We were having the same conversation. If you were a Republican, you were having the same conversation when Obama got elected, right? And I mean, it wasn't the Democrats who came up with we were moving to Canada. It was Republican. Oh, we'll just go to we'll just go to Canada for four years. Then it became eight years, and the world's still here. You know, and then Trump got elected. You know, and then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, the world's going to be a better place. And you know, and you go, is the world a better place today? I mean, take away all the facades, all the you know, spin doctors, all the verbiage. You know, you go, no. It's not. You know when it's going to become a better place? When Jesus establishes his throne 
back on this earth during the millennial kingdom, and there will be peace on earth like you've never, ever known it before. That's the peace that we need to be praying would come. Thy kingdom come, right? Thy will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. You know, what do we do? Don't, man, don't blink. <laughs> keep your head in the game. You know, keep your eye on the prize. Make the most of your time. That's what Peter's saying. Hey, these things, I mean, we all have a limited amount of time and my time's up. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your love. I thank you for this church. I thank you for, Lord, this admonition today from your word. I thank you for Peter, uh, Lord, who we know ultimately uh, died a martyr's death. And, and I believe that those things were in his heart and his mind as he ministers to us today, as we read the word, to be mindful that life is short, whether it's 70 years, as your word says, or 80 at best. Um, Lord, that, that's, that's, that's not very long. We're going to spend way more time on the other side of eternity than on this side in this, this life. And so, Lord, I pray for every heart, every soul today. Lord, if we haven't received the forgiveness of our sin, we haven't armed ourselves against it, that today would be the day that we would do so, that we would recognize that, Lord, you came and you lived and you died and you rose again. You took our sin, our shame, and you bore it in your own body on the cross, that all who would believe in you, all who would put their hope and their trust in you, Lord, would not be disappointed. And I pray for every heart, every home today, that, Lord, we could say that, God, I am putting my hope in you. I'm putting my trust in you. Lord, help me to let go of the things of this life that, that just so easily entangle me and help me run with endurance the race that is set before me. Understanding, Lord Jesus, that, that you are the author and the perfecter of my faith. And so, Jesus, we look to you today. We love you. We appreciate you. And we give you all the praise and the glory because, Lord, you and you alone are worthy to be praised. We pray these things today in the wonderful name of Jesus. And we all agreed saying amen. Amen.